Welcome to the Audible Farm Podcast. This is your host, Peter Stockdale. If you missed the first episode, you can go back and listen to it on SoundCloud. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in to this, the second episode. I sit down with a good friend of mine, Dan Blair, and we talk about his time in Algona and the surrounding areas us going through different gear and learning from one another. Overall, we've spent a lot of time together in the last couple of years, and we're going to go through that in the following podcast. All right, let's stop talking about it. Here we go. Dan Blair. It's the Audible Farm Podcast with your host, Peter Stockdale. You ready to kick it? Ready to kick it. All right, let's kick it. What's up, Dan? How's it going? Ah, nothing really. Just hanging out with Peter. Heck yeah, we're in in the basement of uh, my little jam. My little jam pad here. Got the full stack sitting around. Got a drum set here. Rock and roll, you know. Oh, I'm sitting down today, Dan Blair. We're going to talk about uh, the two of us kind of growing up together, playing music and... uh, Figuring out how to traverse the guitar a little bit, but first let's get into the Algona days. Uh, Dan yes. played a lot of music in Algona. I did. And uh, what uh, what do you got for a story there? Well, it was about a decade long process of kind of uh, well, really rediscovering my love for music, and uh, and really kind of diving into the the whole meat of it i i always had uh you know loved music and and been somewhat of a musician but uh never really had had a lot of knowledge behind it i it was all just kind of as flying by the seat of my pants really yeah we can uh we can backtrack just a touch here when the two of us were growing up, we played in a band called Active Input in high school. Yes, yes, fun times. And, and we both bought beginner instruments. We were both kind of just learning how to even play the guitar at all. And for the most part, we just read tabs and went with the tablature. So uh, after we were done playing in the band, after Active Input, uh, you heard in the previous podcast, our drummer Clint left and... Uh, we just kind of didn't really we stopped. Yeah, didn't really know where <laughs> to go from there. So we uh, we were stuck at the tablature level and didn't have much theory. So this is probably the point where Dan ends up figuring out more theory on his own. Yeah, um, I mean, even going back uh, slightly before the Algona days, uh, I was going back to college in Spencer, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And I, I met a fellow named Tom Bow, and uh, he was he had this crappy acoustic guitar. It had a hole in the front of it. It was on loan to him from a friend of his, and um, uh, you know we'd become friends. And I I seemed to uh, whenever I went over to his apartment, I seemed to get drawn to that acoustic guitar for some reason because he didn't know very much, and I knew a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and that was one of the 
the the things that kind of got me back into playing guitar was teaching him a little bit yeah. about how to play and and uh yeah so like what kind of stuff would you end up playing oh i just taught him you know how to make a power chord yeah and how to make a bar chord and mm-hmm. you know some open chords and blah 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 and it so was it was funny i would i would play some something that i remembered from back in the day like uh an old uh offspring kind of lick yep. over and over again and he would free rap over it no oh, man that's pretty that's pretty cool <laughs> it was it was pretty legit but uh after that i uh i had decided to go get my own acoustic guitar cuz i really wanted to start playing again yeah and that's kind of what snowballed the whole thing so you were like you're on a hunt for an acoustic at this point. Yeah. And this is pre-Algona. Yeah. All right. So what kind of what kind of acoustic did you end up hunting down? Uh I got a used acoustic guitar from uh from an old high school uh buddy. Who's that? Uh Josh Olson. No kidding. Man. Yeah. Cool. It's uh just old Yamaha. That's sweet. They're uh you know, for being a cheap instrument, they usually hold hold together pretty well over the test of time. Oh yeah, I I did a little fixing up on it. You know, uh, treated the fretboard, got some new strings, some new pins, and it ended up being a, a very nice guitar. I, I I kept it for several several years. Mm-hmm. Um, even fixed it up one time. Uh, the tuning pegs started coming loose. Oh man! <laughs> so. I, I, uh, I ended up putting a bunch of wood glue and uh, material and where the where the screws were and. Oh yeah, you do the old, uh, like uh, you had a screw scri- a screw strip out of it or something like that. So yeah. you had to end up. Uh, I always used wood glue and toothpicks was always my yeah. my cheater, and then you could if you had to you could drill it back out. I had some epoxy stuff too that kind of worked nice. Yeah. So. Uh, you got uh, you got this acoustic. You start playing. What kind of what kind of jams are you doing? Uh, I think the first one that I ever learned, because I was at that time had a terrible time singing and playing the guitar at the same time. Yeah, there's a, there's a learning curve. For oh sure. yes, there sure is. Uh, I think the first song that I learned was "Wish You Were Here" by Pink Floyd. That's a good one. That is a great tune. It's a great one to go out and learn for any beginners. It's uh, for the most part just four chords. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for the I mean in all basicness. Yeah. But yeah, so you uh start jamming out a couple songs. At what point in time does it occur to you that you can actually sing and play because you are a well accomplished singer in your own right from your days in s- in junior high and high school. Yes. Um you come from a very good lineage of singers, a pedigree if you will. <laughs> and uh so at what point in time did you realize I can actually play this guitar and sing at the same time? Because that was one of the issues we always had in active input was we were we were so young and so new to everything that playing the guitar and singing was was so difficult we couldn't ask somebody to do that because that would that usually meant compromising one one of the aspects oh, either yeah. the singing or the yeah. guitar playing. So it was really tough. So uh, at this point in time, you realize you can sing. What are some of the like, what are some of the songs you got going down? And, and like, where, where do you decide that you're going to actually attempt to go take this public? Um, it probably wasn't until a couple years later. All right. Um, 
you know, it, it, it was a, kind of a snowballing process. You know, I think I learned that song, and then I learned a couple other songs, and I tried to write a song, and... Yep. And, um, and each, each time it got easier and easier and, and faster and faster. And, and pretty soon, I, I mean, I got to the point where I could learn a song in like a day and, yep. and almost have it down to where I'd, I'd accept it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you get it down good enough where it's like, yeah, this is, I got, you know, 90% of it down or something like that. You got the basic gist of it down. Yeah, so that that process probably took at least a year to two years to get a handful of songs under your belt and get used to singing and playing. Or yeah, right. yeah. All right, so uh, you ended up playing some shows in Algona as a solo artist. Yes. Uh, down at the after, I guess. For yeah, it, it was the afterlife, afterlife at yep. the time. Yeah. All right, so you're at the afterlife. What's uh, what do you call yourself at this point in time? Well, I started out as as Dan Blair, and uh, I think the first show that I did it was like a two hour long gig. Okay. <laughs> uh, which is one of the longest ones I've ever done. That <laughs> always seems to be the way it goes. Uh, uh, but you know, I made it through it. I was hoarse by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it that that was a lot. And I'm I'm surprised I pulled it off, uh, being that kind of fresh yeah, uh, to the I, whole thing. I totally get you. Like, uh, I want to say like my third or fourth show with Three Finger Betty was a two-hour show. And that's like a lot of time to fill with punk songs that are three minutes long. Oh, so. for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm no stranger to the two-hour show, and it's not my not my favorite thing to do. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I, f- I don't think doing sing- singer-songwriter stuff, playing open chords is much different than doing it's, punk music, because yeah, they're all... Uh, you know, no solos, nothing. Yeah. Maybe a little bridge. Yeah. So uh, so you're playing two-hour shows. You're at the Afterlife, and they obviously ask you to come back and play more shows. Yeah. Um, for a while there, I was playing nearly every month. There would be something that came up that they needed an opening, uh, you know, act for. And I, I guess I was a go-to guy for the guy running the, the bar at the time. Yeah, I mean, you had the proximity. You worked nearby. You lived nearby. It actually yeah, uh, it worked out really well for you. Literally down the street. Yeah. So uh, at this point in time, you are... What? Uh, I started out as just, you know, being Dan Blair. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I was always on the hunt for other musicians yeah. to, to come and join me up on stage because doing it by yourself, you know, it's fun, you know, but it's... It's more fun with somebody it's else. It's more fun with somebody else. So I, I always tried to get people involved. Uh, one of the guys who I'm still kind of involved with is um, a buddy of mine, Eric Miller. Uh, yep. He plays saxophone. So we did uh, acoustic guitar and saxophone kind of duet for a while. We tried to get somebody to play the drums for a while. It didn't really work out yeah, as well as we had hoped. That seems to be the biggest hunt um, in almost any music circle is hunting for a drummer. I don't know why, but it's... It is uh, ridiculously tough. Yeah. I mean, it's drumming's not easy. I've got a drum kit here, and I'm definitely not the best at it. If you want me to play anything outside of... ZZ Top and ACDC, I'm not your man. So, 
So uh, you and Eric are jamming some shows. Yeah. You, can't, you can't find a drummer. Dirty D and the Scoundrels. So you called yourself Dirty D and the Scoundrels at this point in time. <laughs> You're playing once a month or so at the Afterlife. Yes. Who are you opening up for? Oh, um, we we opened up for quite a few people, actually. There were touring bands from uh, South Carolina, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, uh, Florida. Uh, some of the maybe more notable ones, I guess I should mention, um, uh, Elysium, they're out of. Totally. Uh, North Carolina, I believe. Yep, heard of them. South Carolina. Uh, another last year. Yep. Uh, those guys are really cool, if you ever get a chance to meet them. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Screaming for Silence. I think they're an Omaha-based uh, band. Yep, definitely. Uh, the guy that owned the Afterlife used to drum for them, so that was oh, the... Oh, I didn't know that. That was the in there. That's pretty sweet. Um, I... I... Sh- I wish I could remember more of the opening bands because yeah. a lot of them were super good too. Yeah, uh, but I, it's, I it's get that easy, way too. It's easy to remember the headliners. Um, I did get uh, the opportunity to open up for um, Sean Danielson from Smile Empty Soul. He Shout was, out. He was uh, doing an acoustic tour and uh, came through town on like a Wednesday or something like that. That's that's still pretty sweet, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, totally terrific opportunity. Yeah, it's always fun when you get the opportunity to play in ahead of some people like that, especially uh-huh. if they got music that you kind of enjoy or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zach Meyer from Shinedown. Yep. Okay. He he did the same thing. He was coming through with uh, a few other, or a couple other guys, I guess. Um, so you've opened up. You've opened up for not only bands but like a solo acts of of heavy hitters um from i guess you would call it the 2000s era and on oh yeah yeah so that's pretty that's pretty sweet yeah it was w- epic what do you think was one of the biggest shows you played while you were doing that uh what? one of the biggest shows that i played because there was i mean occasionally i'd come to the afterlife and watch you play and sometimes it's packed sometimes it's not it kind of just depends on what else is going on in town at the time but uh, uh i mean a couple times I went up there and saw you, and you know the place is almost almost wall to wall, and that that wasn't even in when there was any big acts going. So I was wondering if there was anything where they like almost sold out the afterlife, um, or anything that like I that. was playing yeah. that I went yeah that there. you're playing there. Oh, um, it was probably either another lost year or. Uh, Screaming for Silence. They probably had some of the biggest crowds. Yeah. When I played there, the Sean Danielson and the the Zach Meyer though, those were pretty decent crowds. Yeah, I could totally see Screaming for Silence because I feel like they've got quite a bit of they, a. They do have a big fan base. A big there. fan base. It's a. It might not be everybody in the town likes them, but I almost I think that almost every town you go to, you find some people that that know them and like them. So that's that's pretty sweet. Uh, what point in time did you end up joining up with the Muscle Shirts? Um, well, uh, one of the guys that I worked with at the time um, was a guitarist for the Muscle Shirts. All right. And it was probably a couple years after I started playing, um, and I had 
already begun kind of uh, doing my my kind of solo career, I guess you could say. Yep. Um, that uh, they actually um, the the members of the band asked asked me if I would help them uh, with their guitar section because they they had two guitarists already. But, yeah. Uh, they weren't very accomplished guitarists. Okay, so they brought you in to just to fill out sound then, more yeah, or less. Yeah, more or less. And it it was an alright gig. Yeah. We made money when we played, but we only played like once or twice a year. What kind of stuff did you play? A cover band, right? It was a cover band, yeah. The stuff that like middle-aged um, baby boomers want to hear while they're drinking at a bar. Yeah, I mean, that's legit. That is the... Uh the main populace around this area yeah and uh there's definitely a high demand for cover bands that are willing to play those kinds of music oh for sure and i i enjoy the music it's uh it might not be my favorite thing to listen to but it's man i don't it's hard to to deny a cover band like that because it's not like they're gonna play a song you don't like put six schlitz in me and i'll fucking enjoy anything (laughs) yeah i guess (laughs) Oh, man. So you guys are uh, rocking out shows as the Muscle Shirts. You're playing, uh, what do you got, acoustic? Were you playing uh, leads? What do you What well, do you do at this point in time? I was playing an acoustic guitar. I would do most of the picking work that they wanted. All right. Um, at, at a later point in time, uh, probably close to the end of when I was, I was playing with them, uh, is when I started experimenting with playing more leads on an electric guitar. Yeah. Because uh, I had I had never really done that or been able to grasp that very well. Uh, and so I I started to practice that a lot more, and I started to really, I mean, uh, along with you, kind yeah. of understand more of the fundamentals of, of lead guitar and, and the theory of, of it all. Yep. And and uh, I started to try and incorporate that into the band, actually. And um, I had a lot of pushback and a lot of kind of, you know, I think I ruffled a little bit of feathers trying to, because uh, they, they were all so comfortable doing what they had done. Because they had been a band for like a decade. Oh, yeah, so. Doing the same thing. And so. Yeah, I can see that, too. You just step in and. Let's change it just a little bit, or let's let's kick it up a notch, bam, and everyone's like, yeah. I don't know about this. Yeah, I could see that happening, especially them. The, I mean, they were, you know, kind of middle-aged dudes themselves playing stuff that baby boomers like to hear at a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of watered-down versions of it, you know. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's it's still a decent gig. I yeah I yeah I learned a lot from them actually. Yeah, I definitely I think it's funny that there is a little bit of a a split in the music scene between the cover bands and the bands that make original music when in all actuality i have no preference to one or the other i uh i definitely enjoy playing covers but i enjoy playing original music too i uh i mean i've I've definitely got nothing against cover bands some of my favorite bands from the area are cover bands as a matter of fact riddled with class oh yeah rwc band yeah they're I mean, they kill it. They're like uh, Every they're more they're just below the baby boomer age type music. We're talking alt rock and stuff like that. They're great nineties. They're great for bars for the slightly younger generation. And the other one's Chris Carr band. I mean, 
Every time oh, I every time I see them, guys, yes. I am wowed. I am so wowed. Every like every one of them can sing. They're all super proficient. In their yeah, their musical profile is just uh, extremely huge. It's it's insane, and they all know every song. It seems like I mean, it's they're definitely some of the funnest cover band I guess to see would be the Chris Carr band in my opinion. But uh, so. We're playing cover songs at this point in time, and you're starting to learn how to do your own leads. And this is kind of where you and I joined back up together um, on our musical quest, because we had split ways after the active input days for yes, the most part. Yes. And uh, the two of us start kind of trying to figure stuff out um, on our own, and then we would get together like once a week or so because we didn't live in the same town. So we'd join up. And I think we'd pretty much just trade off, like, oh, I learned this. And it's like, yeah. well, that's cool, but I learned this. So we'd, like, double the learning, yeah. I think. So, I it, mean, it happened pretty quick, really. Yeah. I mean, I'd say within a year we were blues guitar ready, um, maybe even quicker than that. And it's kind of weird because, like, I'm sure you have the same problem I do when you go online to search for something to try to figure out what exactly is going on. You find 20 bad videos and one good video. Oh, that's the worst. And it might not even be that the video's bad. I think a lot of it is just that it just doesn't click with me or you or whoever's watching it at the time. But there's nothing worse than when somebody's trying to tell you how to run through a riff or how to run a scale, and they go so slowly through it. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's such a weird fine line, because if they're just ripping through it too fast, it's uh, it's you're, you're kind of like, wait, let yeah. me catch up. Yeah, there's no way to try and catch. And but if, if they go too slow, yeah, exactly. It's it's insanely it's dumb. So the two of us would pretty much just siphon out as much junk as we could, and then show each other the cool stuff, if not on the video, in person while we were playing. Yeah. So that was one of yeah. the things I always thought was kind of cool was we figured out, you know, twelve bar blues together. What is twelve bar blues? How easy is it? Oh man, this is. 80% of blues songs. Hey, can we change this up? Yes, we can. All right. This Here's is, how we do it. And well, if I play some 12-bar blues and you solo over it, what key am I in? And then you just start going, and then, all right, now let's flip-flop after 12 bars, and then you do it, and I'll solo. And we would just kind of repeat those kind of deals or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was about that time we are starting to learn stuff together, so we start trying to hunt down some guitar gear together. Yeah. Um, I snag up a looper pedal. We get some backing tracks going and stuff, and we start uh, jamming oh. jamming to the backing tracks. And you are such a gearhead. And um, I, I think... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. As we're sitting here looking at all of my <laughs> stuff. Uh, I I am a gearhead, too, but I don't think I have as much as you. <laughs> yeah, I will have to say that you've had a knack for not buying much gear, but the stuff you buy is always like a weird steal of a find that it's... You don't buy much, but what you do buy is, like, stuff you probably won't ever sell, so it's pretty neat, whereas I'm kind of in the boat where I like to try things and, and sell them off if I don't get along with them as well or whatever. Yeah. But we're, at the time, we're uh, starting to solo and things like that, and we're thinking to ourselves, how do people get all these awesome tones that they're getting out of their stuff? So we start going through um, reverb pedals and, and the whole effects loop of the guitar, and we're starting oh, to debug. Time delay. Yeah, we're starting to get distortion. all those things figured out. Uh, we, uh, you and I are kind of of alike. We both like um, overdrive and boost. Um, oh yeah. With a little bit less gain coming out of the amp, I feel like it it makes it hotter without having too much gain and feedback and distortion and without compressing it all to the point where it just sounds like metal. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with that, but I do also feel that you lose a little bit of articulation when you start stacking too much gain in there. Amps too. Amps was another one that you gotta add in there with the gear. You know, yeah. getting a, a whether it's a, a you know solid state or a, a tube amp. You know what what are your preferences? What do you you know what do you like? And yeah, I I think I I lean more towards the tube amp when I. I used to have a solid state, but when I started playing tube amps more, I kind of liked it better. Yeah, it's such a weird thing because I prefer tubes over solid state, but every time I go back to a solid state, I kind of re-fall in love with it. I had that Marshall MG stack for a while, and I uh, recently sold it, and I'm kind of regretting it, but at the same time, I didn't play it very much, so it's it's good that it's no longer with me, but... uh. The guy that bought it from me is using the crap out of it, I'm sure. Oh, that's so great. I mean, they're they're awesome amps. They've got great tone. I mean, you could buy a, a Marshall MG full, uh, half stack for like 300 bucks or so, and that's uh, that's a steal as far as I'm concerned, especially for how much noise, and you get that Marshall tone. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I prefer tubes. You can see that I've got a couple tube amps here, yeah. and uh, actually I have one solid state, and it's buried in the back, and that's the Randall over there, but... I just, that's the, uh, yeah, I don't know. I definitely enjoy tubes, but you still kind of got to figure out exactly your niche because I, uh, I prefer the class PV classic 30. It's just what I used because it was cost effective compared to a Marshall. And then I kind of fell in love with it over time because of just the way it sounds and the way I can get sounds to come out the of it different based, tones. based on my pedal setup style. and stuff like yeah. that. And I mean, they're pretty close. It's uh, it's like one vanilla ice cream compared to another. They're completely different, but they're both vanilla ice cream, you know. And uh, you ended up not going the same direction as I did because you were dabbling with possibly getting a classic thirty, but you actually yes, um, yeah, I was ended up at a guitar shop that I was at, and it, it was weeks before that wasn't yeah, it yeah i had been to it about a month earlier without debo knowing it and that debo's dan by the way if anybody that's um, me so uh i had went a few weeks earlier and bought an amp from the guitar farm is it in new london it is in new london all right guitar farm in new london huge shout out we love you. Go go there. Yeah. Buy his stuff. I love it. He Jesus. Go, he goes through a lot of gear. His prices are very, very... Very reasonable. Very reasonable. Um, He's also very honest with you about everything. The amp I bought was... And knowledgeable, too. Yeah. I mean, the amp I bought had a, a decal on the front that was not time correct, time period correct, but, it, but the decal was still... I mean, so he was just like, this isn't the one that came from the 80s, but... It's it's still a a Randall decal. Okay, fair enough. You know, like if he's gonna be that honest with me, I've got no issues with it. So, yeah. and I've I've enjoyed the amp. I've yet to play it live, but uh, it's kind of funny. Debo ends up going to New London, and he also picks up a Randall, but he doesn't get a head like I got. He ends up getting a combo amp. Yeah, two twelves. Yeah. Um. Do you know what the model number is on that? Um. R- it's an RT thirty. Woo. Yeah. Um. It's a pretty early model, I believe. Yeah, it's got the the green Tolex on it. It's a nice one. Yes. The um the two of us played a show together um a couple years ago in Humboldt called the Rock and Picnic. And at that point in time you were borrowing my classic thirty yes, and I was, was going through a PVJSX two by twelve combo, which is probably my favorite amp, but it's also like a hundred pounds, so it never leaves my basement. 
It's uh, <laughs> a good reason why it never leaves. Yeah, it made it to one practice this year, and I that was enough for me. But uh, by the time the second year came around, because we had played it uh, this most recent summer, about a month ago, you had gotten your Randall. We're doing some practices. Uh, I can't believe the tone that's coming out of this thing. I had problems believing it, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I did or, I, you know. It's hard to describe. I just plugged it, it in pretty much. Yeah, it's hard to describe how it sounds different, but it sounds so good. It's uh, trebly without being too brittle. It's... Uh, bassy without being boomy at all i mean it's so so wild some of that's probably the fact uh that you use a pretty nice guitar so that's yeah that that uh double agent og reverend yeah reverend makes makes great stuff gotta too. give a shout out to them definitely an underestimated guitar company um by most people's standards yeah i've talked to several people uh, and and it, and I've told them I oh I play a reverend and they're like what's that Yeah, <laughs> I mean you and I even ended up uh, at the last rock and picnic asking a guy what he was playing and it yeah. was a reverend it was yeah, a semi hollow body big old semi hollow oh. body uh kind of looked like an Epiphone dot but it was a it was a reverend I don't man it was crazy I went home and looked that up too Yeah, that was a uh, Barrel House Rockets Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Barrel House Rockets uh, the guitarist for them was playing one of those and those those guys are also an awesome band It's got fifteen hundred dollar guitar Yeah, don't don't doubt it I mean <laughs> they're good. So uh, you and I, we're practicing together. We're going through gear together. Uh, we end up finding a nice little decent setup that works for both of us. And somebody gets in contact with me and asks me to play the Rockin' Picnic in 2017. And at the time, I was in a band called Three Finger Betty. But the unfortunate part about that is that uh, Three Finger Betty was... Uh, adult-oriented content, and this was a family event. Yes. Um, shout adults. Out, i got to give a shout-out to John Waugh because he keeps giving me crap about how I called Three Finger Betty adult-oriented and stuff, <laughs> and, he's, and he just wants me to tell everyone that he swears a bunch, and that's that's what it is. So um, there's a little bit of profanity. I'm not going to risk it at a show, especially not in my hometown. So yeah. I, I put in the request to throw together a handful of songs with Dan, and him and I are going to get a Digitech Trio Looper pedal. It's the Trio Plus. It's I bought it when it was on sale, and it's it's a hell of a practice tool for anybody that's beginning. And I, I agree. I still want to use this thing live and play more with it live. Put it through the effects loop, though. Uh, yeah, you got to hook it up all the way to make it fully viable to do its full nine yards and it's kind of complex but that was like what i first started using to get really into gear because i could hook that into a pa and that's when i bought a pa so i could send the drums and anyways so we we programmed this digitech trio plus and we go to the rock and picnic in 2017 and the two of us with basically just drums and backing uh bass Played bass guitar and there I think there was a little uh Oh we rhythm. did we did have a rhythm guitar in there too. Yeah. So we ended up playing five songs. Um a couple ZZ Top songs. We had we played Tush, we played Just Got Paid, we played Going Down by Freddie King, we played Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix, and we also played Midnight Rider by the Allman Brothers. Hmm. Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, however you want to throw. It. <laughs> I don't we know. We kind of, I, we kind of we blended might, the yeah, two, yeah, the two bit. versions a little bit because I don't know. I definitely like 
SRV's attack through the song. He seems to be just blow through the song. Like, yeah, very like, simplified. Yeah, kinda, none of the extra gobbledygook. So yeah. we play the show. It goes uh, better than the promoters had originally thought because they gave us such a short notice. And uh, we were compensated for our act, and they ax- actually asked us to come back the next year. So the next year, they get, 2018. they get in contact with me and they say, do you want to play a show again? And I said, yes, but would it be okay if I attempted to pull together a full band? Um, I, f- I felt like it was justified to have more than just you and I and a box on stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something to be said about the live sound, having a, an actual bassist with you. and Actual drummer. And this way I didn't have to worry about mixing the drums and bass on stage through a pedal before I sent it out to the... I mean, it was yeah. it's kind of a pain in the butt for the sound guy because if my drums and bass aren't loud enough, he's not going to get a, a proper mix of them, and he's, it's going to be hard for him to compensate it anyways. So I got in contact with you and asked you about it, and we had decided to pull together a handful of musicians and try to do a one-off show with... Um, we chose Jeff Blummel from the Chris Carr band. Oh, and great that, guy. I uh, love that guy to death. And we did Nick Earhart from Riddled with Class. We gave both of those Another guys a shout-out. We gave both of them a shout-out earlier. We chose them as the musicians. They both graciously accepted and took a one-off position. And we practiced for about a month together. Yeah, it was like three or four times. I want to say we had four, four or five maybe. But yeah, so we, we get together play some shows and we ended up going to or we get together to do some practices we ended up going to play the show and the show ended up going really well we kept basically the same list of songs except uh well switched up we switched up the order we we played uh gods to get paid by zz top first and ended it with just got paid and then they wanted another song and we didn't actually practice another song really, so we chose yeah. <laughs> we chose Midnight Rider to play again because it's it's fairly simple. Dan's got the pipes to sing it and sing uh, it well. I try. So I the second I I ended up not singing it because I'm not gonna sing a song that requires that good of singing. And that was one reason I wanted to have a couple of good singers with me was if by chance we were gonna do a song that required actual good singing, not that Jimi Hendrix and and ZZ Top aren't, like, good singers, you know, but it's just, like, I had to have somebody there do backup vocals and everything else. So Debo ends up ripping out Midnight Rider. It was great. Pretty much gets a standing ovation as we walk off. Um, I love playing that show, man. The, yeah, the rock that and, was fun. The Rock and Picnic is easily the biggest show I've been to two years in a row. I've been playing music. I've played about 50 to 100 shows in the last, in the last two years. It is... The it's packed. It, we are one of the first bands that play, and there's already like 200 people at Sheldon, not counting the people that are still in their tents waking up, not counting the people just rolling in, not yeah. counting the people yeah. in the merch tent, not counting the people cooking the food. And there's like 200 people sitting in front of you watching you play this from your hometown. It's 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 a crazy event. A little intimidating at first, but you get used to it, and you think, yeah, something like this didn't used to be around when I was younger. And when it was, it was, it was a, the abate rally, the biker rally that oh, used to yeah, come through town. Yeah, yeah. And, and we weren't allowed to go to that for no. obvious reasons. So not, nor would I really either. There's so. more adult content there than three finger Betty. Yeah. Uh, three finger Betty wouldn't be adult content enough for that. <laughs> That's how adult the biker rally was in town. 
so yeah we uh I mean, I hope I get asked to play again next year. If not, I understand because I think this is one of the first times they've had a band play two years in a row. Even yeah. though, even though we've we changed a little bit, and we were, you know, we were the curtain jerker two years in a row for the most part. Yeah. So, um, what? Uh, who were the guys that played first? It was a. Um, I can't believe you're gonna ask me this because I don't know. I might have to plug it in in post production if I think about it. Shout out to them though, because they rocked and they had. A similar situation that we had the year before, yeah, where their drummer pulled out. Yeah, they had like a drummer for super late. They had a drummer for three days. The drummer had, hadn't played in like two or three years, mm. and they were just like, "You want to learn these?" And he said, "Sure." I uh, like I said, I I've got the poster for it. It's hanging upstairs, unfortunately, and we're in a very we're in a different room, dark so basement. So it's not that dark. It's well it's well lit. <laughs> So uh we uh play that show and that's definitely one of our one of my favorite shows to play every year. I I let you actually take like 90% of the leads and it was probably my favorite choice I've made because I chose to sing due to the fact that we called ourselves the Stockyard the next year. So in 2018 we go under the guise as the Stockyard. I figure if they ask me again I better rotate the musicians around. So I I namesaked it after myself and that way i can cycle through a different set of drummer or something if if i need to that way they don't get tired of seeing the same couple people up there every year it keeps it fresh keeps it fun keeps it local which is what their slogan is for the most part oh yeah and uh, i mean it's the same concept as this audible farm thing i just wanted to have musicians from around the area get the representation they deserved and maybe get a different light to shine in so that's that's one reason i started the podcast that's one reason i started videotaping people and putting them on youtube and we appreciate it hey thanks man (laughs) so uh what kind of music are you doing these days i know that you are not currently in a band i'm not no however you do have a back catalog of solo material that is cover bands that you do um i mean probably dozens and dozens and dozens of songs you could easily cover an hour at a bar if you wanted to you think oh yeah um probably probably in the in the hundreds all right so of songs in my back catalog i I might need to dust off the cobwebs on some of them understandably Um, but uh definitely definitely got a few under my belt all right, so here's the first call out. Um, Dan Blair's a terrific musician. He can sing um, better than probably most singers you can find. He he plays well. He he knows how to play leads. Um, well versed in anything rock and roll and blues. The guy needs a band. Super talented. I do. He uh, I need a band. God. He deserves it. If anybody deserves it, he does. And um, yeah, this is the call out. If anybody's looking for a guitarist or a singer. Or even better, a guitarist that sings, because that's... I'll tell you what, I'm a guitarist that sings, but I don't sing very well. We're talking solid 5 out of 10 here. Debo's like 8 or 9 out of 10 singing level. I mean, it's 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 awesome. So, this is the call out. Anybody looking for a singer, drummer... No, singer or guitarist. No, no, no not, I can't not, play drums. Not a drummer. <laughs> so, this is... I try to do this once a show and give everyone some representation this way. And uh, I definitely think you're one of the people that deserves to have... 
you deserve to go out there and play. And I totally Thank play you. with you more, but like I have I already have two bands I'm in yeah, and I that makes it hard. If I could split the time, I would. And you know <laughs> you know I would. <laughs> but uh I just I just can't do it in good good honesty, uh and good nature and feel like it's a I can represent myself and the other two bands well enough to do that. So um yeah, I stretched myself kind of thin doing the stockyard show, but I'm super thankful you did that with me. We ended up rocking a Ted Nugent song, Stormtroopin'. Oh, yeah. And that, and that took quite a lot of people by surprise because uh, they just didn't they didn't know what it was. And it uh, we had a couple guys come out and just be like, oh, I can't believe you played some Ted Nugent. It's like, yeah, dude. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, so dude. good. Uh, the guys from the Barrel House Rockets were totally into the fact that we uh, played Gots to Get Paid, which is from the new ZZ Top album. Um, I didn't have anybody say anything about how we bookended our sets with gots to get paid and just got paid yeah but i did yeah i don't i don't think i had anybody either i did dedicate just got paid to all the hard working musicians out there because uh y'all deserve to get paid um oh yes uh and, and don't settle for any less no kids uh did you see the article that was in the little village mag that was the guy talking about trying to retire the five dollar show that's oh. a definitely an article worth looking up. If anybody's out there that's seen it, uh, shoot us a line on uh, Twitter at Audible Farm and tell us what you think about that. I'm going to try to ask some people some opinions on that on the show. Um, basically, the shortest version of it is there's a guy that's saying we should retire the $5 show because it doesn't pay anyone anything justifiable. And they, there should be like a $10 show. Because the five dollar show is from the eighties, and based on how much money on people, inflation and yeah, so it should be about a ten dollar show. In all honesty, I think somebody figured the math out at about fourteen bucks a show. But so is is 15, the, like minimum wage <laughs> fifteen? Is the five dollar show ruining independent music scene, or I don't know. I th- I think maybe the pay to play is ruining the music scene. I. It's it's definitely a discussion that needs to be had, but I feel like the parallels for it all are, are weird because if you want to do a free show, you'll find bands that want exposure and they'll they're willing to play for nothing. Yeah. Okay, so that you're not gonna eliminate free shows. You're not gonna eliminate people no. not getting paid. No. Okay, so with those out of the way, you have bands that like what I'm in where we expect to get paid but can't always get paid and occasionally we will do a pay-to-play to play in front of a lot of people. Yes. But the downside of that is you, you do a pay-to-play and you 99.9% guarantee yourself that you're not going to get paid because you're paying to be on the show. Oh, almost take a loss. Yeah, so the guarant- like the way it figures out is if all the bands pay-to-play and all the people pay to come in, that should pay for the band and pay for the bar and maybe a little bit then some. Maybe not, but that's that should barely. And I, I get the gist from all the promoters because the promoters got to get paid too. But I also feel like there's a lack of promotion since Facebook's taken, taken hold. Oh, for sure. And and that definitely has something to be said. But also, if you hang a flyer, who's going to look at it? How many times do you stop and to look at bulletin boards these days? Yeah. No, never. You know, I don't ever do it. So like the flyer, nobody wants to see a flyer anymore. You hang flyers, and you might as well just like hang a piece of garbage on the wall in most places because nobody <laughs> nobody wants to see it and people walk past. I don't know the last time I was enticed by a flyer and that's sad to say that but I also live in small town Iowa so I don't get to see too many flyers no you know but I mean 
go to your local grocery store, maybe. Yeah, and even then, it's just like, I'll snow blow your lawn, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, like, that's that's a flyer that we get around here. And, this and it's is not a sexual flyer, either. <laughs> no. So, I mean, it's nothing against the $5 show. It's nothing against the $10 show. I just feel like there's a, a wide range of things happening out there uh, in the music scene, and it makes it kind of odd, especially when you got to look at uh, who is getting paid, how much they're getting paid, why they're getting paid. Um, there is definitely set something to be said about people undervaluing themselves, though, as oh, well. Oh, yes. Um, That's one thing I learned uh, playing back in the Algona days. Don't undervalue yourself. No. A lot of musicians will... Like, let's say you're playing a guitar in front of somebody and like, oh, you're so good. And you say, no, I'm not. The reason you know you're not good is because you know how much farther you have to go to become the best. Which, yeah. Which is oh, being and being the best is the goal. Yeah. So it's so much farther down the road to be the best. But these people that have no frame of reference look at what you're doing and say it's good. But at the same time, these are the people that try to say, I'll give you 50 bucks to come here and play for an hour. And it's like, well, I mean... It's that's that's decent. Yeah. Um, it's not bad, but I've got to drag all this stuff here and practice it, and then. And I've I've been practicing for for years. Yeah. <laughs> and the somebody wrote hours, somebody hours, wrote hours, a okay. a reply to that. Retire the five dollar show, uh, in the letter to the editor of the Little Village Mag, which I think is out of Cedar Rapids area. But the article that the guy wrote back was something to the effect, I think he said something about musicians are people who take $5,000 worth of gear in a $500 car to a $50 show. Ouch. And that's that seems too real sometimes and other times. Ouch. I will have to say I have gotten some paydays that made my jaw drop because of how good they were. And I've gotten some that were so low, but it's also expected because if you go to a bar on a Friday night and you're the musical entertainment and there's three people in there, some you're probably not going to, it's just the way it works. You're probably not going to get paid yes. very well, yeah, especially if you're going under the guise of getting paid a portion of the, the bar tab at the end of the night. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's totally understandable, but, uh, the, the retire the $5 show is something that, uh, I feel like maybe you should go out check that article out. Everybody, I feel like, should go look that article up. Uh, just search Little Village Mag on online and then um, retire the $5 show. It'll be there. It was one of the letters to the editor. It's it's very well written. Uh, it brings up very good points. I just feel like, I mean, there's no one blanket solution to this for sure. But uh, that's that's just my, I guess, my short skinny on it. I I don't have too much to deal with the band finances because I am a new member in both of the bands I'm in and I'm, I'm still pretty far away from the, the band purse. And, and <laughs> it's, it's totally justifiable because in, in unity, I, I'm so green in unity that everyone else outranks me based on how long they've been playing music, even in the Des Moines scene. Cause yeah, I mean, yeah. every single one of those guys has 10 years of music experience publicly over, over me. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy to say, so, and and John Waugh runs Three Finger Betty. That's his baby. I mean, he's he's front man. He writes most of the material. He's he's the he's the head honcho. So I I don't have too much uh, knowledge about running a band and all the finances. And what I do is what very little you and I have had 
with uh, the stockyard, and we've had no, and we've had very good compensation and a very good time with it. Split it evenly. Yeah, and we've always spread it around. You know, and it's just one of those things where you and I have been lucky enough when we were playing together because we've only done two shows and we've only dealt with one promoter together. Yeah. But we just sit down and have a talk with them, and they pay you justifiable amount, and everybody's okay. I've never once had an issue going out to the rock and picnic. No. Ever, like not even a little bit. No. It's no. it's. It's mind-blowing how smoothly everything there runs. I mean, even down to the he sound guy. Like, the the sound guy at the Rock and Picnic is is definitely... The sound guy at the Rock and Picnic is definitely one of the uh, best... It's one of the best sound places I have ever been to. He's also a musician, too, so he, he kind of knows the racket. Yes. Um, I mean, man, I, I just can't say enough good things about that Rock and Picnic. Um. Everyone should definitely go to it next year if you're from the north central Iowa area. It's every For year. Sure. It's every year uh, Labor Day weekend. Yep. And Labor Day weekend. They have like a bags tournament and uh, smoked meats. It's at Joe Sheldon Park in Humboldt, Iowa. There's not usually a Facebook event page set up for it. Uh, this year there was, but I think it was private. I'm not 100 percent sure. It was kind of it was kind of weird. I couldn't I couldn't invite people to it um, through Facebook and some other things, but. Uh, it's it's definitely out there. Look for it next year. I'll have to talk to their PR guy. Yeah, um, it's just the way it goes. We're not quite out of time, but we're starting to run low on time. I was gonna ask you: Is there anything you want to uh, talk about specifically while we're still on here for episode n- number two? Um, let me think here. Um, we we covered playing with uh playing together originally we covered your adventures in um algona and around that area we talked about going through gear and practicing learning the blues well well i guess one thing i would i would kind of advise to anybody that is uh somewhat into music or you know kind of has an interest in it yeah let's hear it or something like that don't give up don't quit I, I that's one of the biggest regrets I've I've ever made. Yes. Uh and that was stopping playing music and not singing and and doing any of that stuff. Uh Yes, I, I, I would I would definitely have to say our stories parallel a hundred percent because I mean I played until after high school and then it was just I played in a basement. I didn't know who else to play with. I didn't know how to go out and play anywhere. I wasn't good enough to play half the time with any of my friends. So, I mean, take five years off. That's what you did. I mean, yeah. I would ma- give yeah. or, give or take a few years, but you and I both just put our stuff down and walked away from it. Yeah. And I mean, don't I mean don't give up because you and I we're now roughly about thirty. And we should have about 15 years of guitar playing under our belt, and we're oh. sitting with about seven. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah, giving up is definitely not, not an option. And I, it's, some, it's like I try to tell my students when I'm teaching guitar lessons, is they say, this is so difficult, it's so hard. And I said, if you and I were sitting down in an Xbox together, I would be saying the same thing. I can't play video games to I save my life. I can't I'm, do it. I'm not good at it. First-person shooters, dead instantly. First one, gone. And and that's the the learning curve is they sit down all day long with these video game controllers and it's so second nature to them they don't even have to look at their hands they don't even have to like think about what's going on it just happens and that's kind of where you and I are at with certain aspects of our own guitar playing skills is you and I don't even pay attention to what we're playing half the time we're just ripping leads out and they just no, come out just trying to think ahead 
Yeah, that's that's <laughs> all it is. So I tried to explain to him. I was like, body do the rest. It sounds so cheesy, but this guitar is literally like a, an Xbox without a controller that's not hooked up to the internet. That's made of wood with a bunch of metal hanging off the front. Yeah, and magnets. Yeah, so you, j- I mean, just get good at doing this. Really high-powered magnets. It takes a little bit of time, but it's. I think the most difficult thing for anybody would probably be finding something that you enjoy playing, because I mean. When I first started playing guitar, I wanted to play like punk music and and metal music, and there's no way you can just rip out Megadeth your first time you pick up a guitar. Oh no! Like probably not even <laughs> your first first year if you're a slow learner, or if maybe it takes you if you don't have the time to dedicate hours a day, it takes well, forever. And here's another point: learn how to practice. Yes. Because I know when we started out, it was like practice all the time; otherwise, you're gonna be a bunch of dog shit and and like we didn't but we didn't know what to practice we didn't know what to practice so we were just like randomly like shoving shit down our yeah i mean um you play a you play a pentatonic (laughs) scale and it's like yeah i can play it but how do i apply this to anything yeah or like i've played um hit or miss by newfound glory 48 times that's perfectly that's that's not practice like you you just you memorized five power chords and where they all go all the time that's it all you're doing learn learn what to practice and then learn how to practice that's that's a difficult thing and Um, it is find somebody that can tell you the secrets yes um (laughs) there's there's probably somebody in your town if you're from north central iowa just uh drop us a line and and we can put you in contact with somebody around your area probably um I know either Dan or myself were pretty well-versed in knowing people from about, like, the Fort Dodge to Algona area and a little bit east and west of there, so... Des Moines. Um, yeah, I mean, all the way down to Des Moines, I can I can point you in City. some directions uh, as to, like, where to go. But, yeah, I mean, I, w- I will have to say that it's, uh, it's definitely good to sit down with you and talk to you about this because your guitar playing and stylings mirror mine in quite a few ways we just have a few variances in our stylings and play styles oh definitely and only a few variances maybe even in our um our path that we took to get where we were going to go because um i view you as definitely as one of my peers and one of my friends and without without having you around for the last three years to jam with i definitely wouldn't be doing any of this stuff especially not with three finger betty and without betty i wouldn't be able to do any of the unity stuff so it's it's just it's a a, a step by step process that uh, you helped put me on. It, I mean, it was. Um, I, I feel very humble, sir. Yeah, I mean, uh, w- without you, it <laughs> wouldn't have happened. I mean, I, I bought a I bought a PVJSX amp. I fell in love with it, and then it's like now I got to learn how to play a guitar, you know. And once I started learning how to play a guitar, I upgraded a guitar, and then you upgrade your guitar, and you're like, oh man, I'm really digging on this there's, now. There's the whole gear chasing. Yep, and then you start chasing all the holy grails of gear and. Um, you know, I've got a bass guitar. I started playing bass a little bit here and there, and that was like something else I had thought was like, well, next year if we need to play rock and picnic, maybe I'll just play the bass and I'll get two guitarists to come in. <laughs> you know, so like, there's always those kind of options you, to do. You got a drum set now. You can play the drums I could, too. I might be able to play the drums on a few of the songs. You never know. And that's that's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of the stockyard is what I want. It just it doesn't matter who's in it. Um, I'll probably be in it, and uh, I mean, I like to drag Dan with me most places I go, especially if I get asked to play a show because he likes to play blues and rock just like I, I do. do. So I got a pretty face too. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't hurt to have uh, a good looking mugs standing up front singing to everybody either. So 
we're getting clo- we're getting real close to the hour here, so I'm probably gonna call it uh, a podcast. And I want to say thank you much for sitting down with me for about an hour. Well, thank and, you for uh, having me, sir. Discussing your musical history and some other things with me. Um, this uh, that's it. All right. Wow. Sweet. Thanks, wow. man. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Woo! There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's two in the bank. Two podcasts are recorded. What did you think of that one? You can let us know on Twitter at Audible Farm. We are also on Instagram at Audible Farm. We are also on Facebook at Audible Farm. If you want to find us on YouTube, we are also on YouTube. You'll have to search for us, and we are also Audible Farm on YouTube. We have SoundCloud as well, which is where we host the podcast from. I do have a couple shows I would like to uh, plug coming up here. I'm playing a show with Three Finger Betty on Saturday, September 29th at the Fremont in Des Moines. show starts at 7. I do also have a show with Unity coming up on October 6th. That's also a Saturday. That's at Gabe's in Iowa City. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today, listening to my guest, Dan Blair. If anybody has any further questions for him, they can tweet us at Audible Farm. We will put you guys in touch with one another. The guy's a heck of a guitar player. I love having him around. He will probably be on the podcast again because he and I live in close proximity to one another. So somebody hire this man. He need, he needs a job playing guitar somewhere. He's 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 the man. I want to thank everybody once again for uh, listening to the podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends about it. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.